This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Twitter meltdowns, history lessons for washed up and perpetually triggered celebrities, a design house of child exploitation, and to wrap it all up in a pre-Christmas bow, some final thoughts on the vaccinated Americans dying from the thing the vaccine was supposed to protect them from. The show is big, it's controversial, and it starts now. Let's be honest, folks, since Elon Musk took over Twitter, it's just a hell of a lot more fun. The speech is freer, the algorithms are looser, and the liberal meltdowns are as fun to witness as they are tragically pathetic. Good times, good times. So let's take Alyssa Milano, for example. And for those of you who aren't familiar, don't feel bad because she hasn't starred in anything recently aside from Guy's Ultimate Game Night, wherein pseudo-celebrities compete in games and trivia related to food. But when she's not playing meatloaf trivia, she's on Twitter being one of the most self-righteous yet blissfully ignorant keyboard warriors on the platform, and that's tough competition. But over the holiday weekend, Milano tweeted about her harrowing, selfless, and brave act of trading her Tesla for an electric Volkswagen model instead, all to protest Elon Musk and Twitter and white supremacy while tweeting about it on Twitter. But other users were quick to give her a history lesson of the origin of Volkswagen, an automobile company started in Nazi Germany as a state-sponsored enterprise during Hitler's reign. But damn that Elon Musk and his Teslas and his free speech platform, the horror. These liberal asshats like Alyssa Milana don't do anything for betterment of anything. And they know that. They just like to make themselves feel like they've made a real impact, a real valiant difference. But it doesn't, and they don't. But meanwhile, it sure does provide some entertainment for the rest of us, so please, please continue. Up next, speaking of needed entertainment, the popular satire site The Babylon Bee was banned on Twitter under Elon, but they are back with all the memes we could ever need. CEO of The Babylon Bee, Seth Dillon, joins me next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie 
to get all their jobs done well. For those who aren't familiar or live under a humorless rock, the Babylon Bee is a satire site that often mocks liberals, their ideologies, their derangement, and the cognitive diseases they suffer from. So as expected, the liberals and the former wardens of big tech are not fans of the Bee. But earlier this year, under former Twitter leadership, the Babylon Bee was suspended for posting this meme about Health and Human Services Assistant Secretary Dr. Rachel Levine a transgender. It was deemed hateful conduct and the account was suspended until such time the tweet was removed. Well, my next guest and Babylon Bee CEO Seth Dillon didn't delete that tweet and the account was suspended for nearly eight months. But that was until Elon Musk took over the platform and then bam, the bee reappeared in all its meme-tastic, lib-triggering glory. Joining me now is the site CEO Seth Dillon. Oh, Seth, it's great to have you back on Twitter and it's great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So I want to go back for those that weren't familiar with the suspension there. I kind of gave a little bit of background, but after that meme was posted, you know, the Babylon Bee posts memes all the time. So do many other accounts, many other sites. It's a common thing around the interwebs. But what do you think it was about that particular meme that made Twitter give you guys the axe eight months ago? Well, they have their ideology baked into their terms of service. You know, they have this hateful conduct policy which by the way, starts out with like this huge ringing tribute to free expression. They say that they're a platform for free expression without barriers. And then the rest of the policy is all these barriers. Um, you can't dead name, you can't misgender. You know, they put all these restrictions on you that are based on their ideology. You know, I think it's misgendering when a male person refers to himself as a woman and tries to force you to say that too. Um, but you know, they have their own idea of what misgendering is and that, that particular joke ran afoul of that po that policy. We, we referred, referred to Rachel Levine as our pick from man of the year, uh, which they considered misgendering, which is hateful. And so they said, you need to delete this and admit that you engaged in hateful conduct. And we said, no, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to delete it and admit that we engaged in hateful conduct. This is a joke for one thing. And it's also true. Yeah, I think that's what's most interesting to me is not only is it true, but it's a joke. And now we know that comedy is essentially dead because of cancel culture, because of the wardens of big tech, who, by the way, have no issue with conservatives being mocked endlessly, never have, likely never will. But that had to be a pretty big decision around the hallways or the interwebs of the Babylon Bee to say, you know what, we're going to have our account suspended and we're OK with that. We're not removing the tweet. Tell me about the discussion that went along with that decision? Honestly, uh, you'd think it, actually in retrospect, I thought, you know, maybe we should have talked about this a little more and thought deeply about this before we made a snap decision. But my gut was it would be wrong to censor ourselves and do the tyrant's work for him. I'm going to refuse to do that. There's no question. I'm not deleting this tweet. And if that means that we're never coming back to Twitter and we just stay locked out of our account forever, then so be it. And I figured when I when I made that decision, I knew that it would cost us something. I knew it would cost us traffic. But beyond that, it's going to cost us from being in the conversation. You know, Twitter is where so much of the public discourse happens. You have all these notable people. The only reason Elon Musk is a fan of the Babylon Bee and, and, and was concerned about what happened to us is because he followed us on Twitter. That's where he engaged with our content. So, you know, there'd be a huge cost to not being in that in that platform uh, in front of those eyeballs. But 
Uh, on the other side of it, I thought, you know, this could be a really powerful statement that we're going to make by being a notable account that takes a stand and refuses to bend the knee and admit that we did something wrong when we don't think that we did. We're going to take a stand for truth. We're going to take a stand for comedy, the right to make jokes, and hopefully other people will stand with us and possibly will embolden somebody to do something about this problem. And, you know, sure enough, we got a little lucky with the richest man in the world paying attention to it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's pretty exciting when the account comes back online. I got to say, I think Twitter is just a lot more fun now. I actually went through a period of time where I didn't tweet much. I used to be on Twitter all the time. Every time, every time I had a sarcastic political thought in my mind, I would tweet it. And then I went through a period of time where it's like, you know what? I feel like I'm being shadow banned. Tweets that used to get 5,000 retweets are getting like 25. I don't even want to be on here anymore because it's just hateful. But then Elon Musk took over and it's still hateful. There's still evil liberals on there that attack me. But I feel like conservatives yeah. are able to get a little bit more traction now and at least have some skin in the game. What's your experience been in the last couple of months under Elon? Twitter's usage and the activity there, it's so alive. Like there are so many people, you know, my personal Twitter has gained 100,000 followers uh, over the last uh, 30 days. And I only had 400, so now I'm up to 500. I mean, that's huge growth in a matter of 30 days. Um, I, there, there's so many people joining the platform. There's a lot more people engaged. Uh, my tweets, for example, the bees tweets are getting a lot more engagement than typical. So this whole idea that Musk is, has killed Twitter by opening the gates of hell and letting all these, you know, Nazis and white supremacists in say what and do whatever they want. It's so ridiculous. He's, he's still got content moderation in place. He said explicitly that he's not going to allow incitement to violence or hate speech. And so it's, it's basically what it was just with a lot more people on it. So it's better than it ever was. It's more fun than it ever was. That's for sure. Especially with all these liberals melting down, threatening to leave and then coming back two days later, the whole thing with CBS was so hysterical and entertaining. It's more fun than ever, in my opinion. And, you know, there was actually a time when Fox News was not on Twitter and it was after they failed to take down, you know, some of the addresses of certain talent on Fox News, Tucker Carlson being one, inciting violence towards some of our talent over at the network. And Fox News actually didn't tweet for a long period of time and held to that, was very steadfast in that. And that now, yeah. yeah, and now Fox News is back. Of course, Tucker, Tucker Carlson is back on Twitter. A lot of us are back and reengaging because we do feel like it's a place where we're still going to get treated like crap, but at least it's a little bit more fairly being treated like crap. So I'm certainly enjoying it. But I also <laughs> remember the heydays of Facebook back in like 2017 before those algorithms really clamped down on us too, when we were able to garner millions and millions of views. And now you say the word vaccine or even start to spell out the word vaccine and you're pretty much shadow banned and censored from the get-go. But I want to ask you, just in, to finish up our Twitter conversation, are you excited that Donald Trump is back on Twitter? And do you think he's going to tweet? If so, do you think it's needed on that platform? Trump is one of the most fun people to follow on Twitter ever. I, rem I remember, you know, waking up to all of his tweets that he would fire off like super early in the morning and just being so entertained by it. Um, I think it'd be great if he came back on a Twitter. I don't know that he will, but it, it is, I think it was the right thing for Musk to do to leave the door open and say, look, you're welcome to walk through it if you want to. It's unlocked, it's open here, use the platform. Because he never did anything deserving of being banned from the platform to begin with. He never called for violence on that platform. He didn't violate the rules. They stretched you know, as far as they could possibly reach to try to put him in violation of rules that he never actually violated. So I think Musk did the right thing there. I think it's uh, a testament to his commi commitment to actually honoring the right to speak, even if you're unpopular. 
You know, the, the idea that the left can just not like you and silence you as a result of that is so dangerous. It's so destructive. They're so concerned about the threat to democracy, right? <laughs> but they don't even want anybody who can who disagrees with them to be allowed to have a platform to speak. It's just it's absolutely crazy. So I love that Musk is doing something about that, that he's that he's given Trump the option, even if Trump doesn't take it up. About your personal account and the Babylon Bee account, I'm just curious on this. Is there anyone that follows the account that you're really surprised follows the account? Maybe something that kind of caught you off guard that was exciting to see in your mentions? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I wish I had an on-the-spot answer for you. That would be a good one. Um, I'm sure I could find some if I look in there, some some accounts. There's some celebrities probably that, that I'd be surprised to actually follow us. Um, I, I discovered recently that John Cena was following me personally, and my kids thought that was awesome. Um, I couldn't believe it when I saw that Joe Rogan followed me personally. That was pretty surprising. But in terms of like somebody that's totally unexpected that I that I wouldn't think would follow our brand, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to think about that one and, and, and look and see if there's any out there. Well, I'll tell you my favorite follower, uh, quite frankly, it warms my heart. Uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom follows me, uh, and I really <laughs> appreciate that. Honestly, I know he sees my content. A lot of it is about him. So that's my personal favorite follower. Still waiting for Hillary Clinton. Now that one will be a good one. In, in wrapping up, I want to know who writes a lot of these memes and this content for the Babylon Bee? Because now, honestly, when you see a Babylon Bee meme or a headline, it doesn't look too different from our actual headlines because of how ass backward everything is in our country right now. But I want to know yeah. who's the mastermind behind some of that great content you give us. Well, it's a good point you make. You know, a lot of people come up to me all the time and say, you know, your job must be so easy because the world's so crazy. It's easy to make fun of. And I'm like, no, imagine if your job was to sit there every day and write jokes that are funnier than what Democrats are doing in real life. Right. You know, imagine, imagine having to write jokes that are funnier than a Kamala Harris speech. Good luck. <laughs> it's a very difficult job. Um, we have a whole crew of people. We have a team out in California, a creative team out in California. Our editor-in-chief, Kyle Mann, leads that team. And then our managing editor, Joel Berry, works under him and manages the, the rest of the guys. And it's just, a, it's just a fun, creative process where we kind of collaborate on it together. Every day, the writers are just pitching ideas and trying to come up with something funny to throw up on the site. And honestly, it's hard because you got you to parody that which is already a parody of itself. You know, the world that we're living in is insane. Well, you guys do an excellent job. I love following you. I often repost it, especially on my Instagram, because it really does make me laugh out loud. So please keep up the good work. We're looking forward to seeing your Twitter content. And don't let the wardens of big tech get you down. We're all in this fight together. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the shares. Thanks so much, Seth. All right. Still ahead, designer fashion house Balenciaga is taking heat from all sides after an ad campaign that featured children with BDSM themes and disturbing and exploitive undertones. Operation Light Shine's Matt Murphy joins me next to discuss how campaigns like these normalize and mainstream global child exploitation. Don't miss it. Designer fashion is often risky, often shocking, bizarre, and even controversial. And fashion ad campaigns often get away with some really weird stuff in the name of art. But Balenciaga's newest ad campaign featuring children holding BDSM teddy bears and other disturbing references such as paperwork of a child porn Supreme Court ruling, a ruling that legalized virtual child porn, 
is beyond the pale. And you know it's bad when even reality TV stars such as Lala Kent and Bethany Frankel are speaking out, denouncing the campaign and the brand. But noticeably silent, however, are social justice warriors and Balenciaga brand ambassadors Bella Hadid, Nicole Kidman, Dua Lipa, and many, many others. Though I will give credit where credit is due after Kim Kardashian broke her silence yesterday afternoon, condemning the campaign and its imagery. Balenciaga itself has also pulled campaign images and issued an apology, but is it enough? And what about the brand's main stylist, Lada Volkova? Just look at her personal Instagram page. This is disgusting, it's disturbing, and it's a thinly veiled attempt to normalize not only the sexualization, but the brazen exploitation of children. My next guest has been working tirelessly through his nonprofit to end this kind of abuse, and he joins me now. Operation Light Shines, Matt Murphy. So, Matt, this Balenciaga campaign has gotten a lot of attention, a lot of backlash. You know, they pulled the images. But I wonder, do you think Balenciaga really realizes how problematic it is? Or did it just take some noticeable people speaking out to make them reverse course on that? That's, that's a great question. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Of course. You know, with this whole Balenciaga situation, I think it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, obviously. It's a good thing that people are waking up. They're seeing that they're throwing this in our face, but they're waking up to the problem. But I think we're, we're getting a little misdirected in this, right? We're, we're focusing our energy on an advertisement and people creating this type of quote unquote artwork, but it's distracting away from the real problem. You know, everyone's attacking Balencia, but I really wish that people would focus their efforts, you know, and see, you know, Balencia's campaign to see how bad this is and bad how people are, but there's children all over this country that are suffering, suffering in silence. And, you know, I really hope that we can, you know, take this Balenciaga scandal and pivot it to what really matters, which is there's kids all over America, hundreds of thousands of kids that are being sexually exploited, sexually extorted. And, you know, I see the world from that lens. I live in this every day with this nonprofit and supporting the police. I see their tears. I see their fight. I see what they deal with, the images that they have to look at the evil that they see, and then the children that are permanently forever altered by this abuse. You know, a child's brain's like clay. So you sexually abuse a child, you, you, you know, do something so evil and horrible to a child, an innocent mm -hmm. child, that as they grow and mature, that, you know, sexual abuse starts to change the literal physical makeup of their brain. It changes the way that their brain works, and it's very difficult, tons of therapy and everything else for them to even try to be a normal person again after that. That's well, a real issue. It's such a slippery slope too mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. what you guys do fighting actual mm -hmm. abuse and actual exploitation, but it is a very blurry line. You've got images yeah. like this that you've got kids that are in this ad campaign. By the way, one of the children, their father said, we had a great time, it was no problem. Well, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that you were abused while you were doing the photo shoot. It's the message that it sends that this is normal, mm -hmm. that looking at children in a sexual way is normal, that exploiting children is normal. And it seems like it's getting worse. But if I were to think back even from my childhood and I were to look at Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, some of the themes that we saw, some of the sexualization of children shows like mm. toddlers and tiaras and other things. I mean, this has been a problem that's been rooted in society, but it feels like it's becoming more mainstream to where people are looking at it as art and not problematic. Mm. But what does something like that, that is in the lane of fashion or art, what does that do for your work and your mission to mm. try to end this? Uh, it, it makes it extremely difficult, you know, because taking off the CEO of a charity hat that's fighting this, looking at it as a father, 
you know, as just someone that loves this country, as a, a former Green Beret who spent 17 years fighting for America, fighting for freedom, you know, and you and I come home now and I see the country in the state that it's in, in in so many different ways, but it seems like everything now is pointed towards our children and and the sexualization of our children, and it's terrifying because what people don't really realize is yes, they, they have been slowly sexualizing children more and more and more. But now parents are complicit in this, and that's the problem. You know, if you look at TikTok, look at how many little girls are on TikTok doing these dances in their underwear mm -hmm. or their cheerleading outfits. You don't know how old they are. And, you know, if you scroll through TikTok, you see all these dances and the sexualization of kids, and there's no filter that says, you know, this child's under 18 that keeps men that are over 18 mm -hmm. from looking at it. So you've got guys, you know, being desensitized, if you will, to this being wrong, you know, and parents are allowing it to happen. You know, that that's really where this, you know, people need to wake up is these ad campaigns, the, this, you know, the, the imagery and the symbolism that's in music and Hollywood and, you know, in ads from these fashion designers, it's terrible, it's atrocious. But in, it's, it's desensitizing people, but the real problem right now is us. Right. You know, it's parents. It's, it's, we have generations of parents that don't care because while we're sitting there telling our kids to get off our phone, we're on our phone, hey, you know, mm -hmm. don't spend so much time on your phone. You know, we're distracted and, and pulled out of reality. Our children are distracted and pulled out of reality. Like there was a poll uh, not too long ago, I think it was uh, kids 14 and under uh, in America and in China. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? The number one answer in America was a social media influencer. Mm -hmm. Number one you know, answer in uh, China was an astronaut. You know, if you just look at all these things, our kids are getting dumber, the education's less, you know, everyone's talking about this metaverse as this thing that's coming down the road. It's like we're already living in it and we don't even see it. We're, we're all guilty. And we've all been complicit in the sexualization of our kids because we've allowed it to happen by excusing it off as, oh, that's innocent. Oh, they're just having fun. Oh, they're just kids. Oh, it's TikTok. Oh, everyone's on it. Well, you know what? Look at what we've done. And technology mm -hmm. makes it easier to access these kids, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But I they wonder would. what your take is on this. There was kind of a viral story a month or two back, and it was a dad who was being criticized for the way his daughters were dressing, going to their prom. And his viral message was, I don't need my daughters to cover up. Tell your little boys not to be perverts. And he got claps for that because it was like, yeah, you know, it's that's kind of like a teach your boys not to be this. Why do girls have to cover up? You know, there is that that old adage of, oh, you asked for it if you dress that way, which I believe is wrong as well. Mm -hmm. But then when you start to think about that message, it's like, yeah, but also as a father, why are you not teaching your daughters that maybe covering up when they're especially under age 18 yeah, no. is probably more the route they should go because they don't need to sexualize themselves. It feels like that's gone out the window, but it's gone out the window under this guise of freedom and feminism yeah. and all this modern BS that's supposed to be empowering but I wonder if we've gotten ourselves so much in that empowerment hole that kids don't even know what's right and what's wrong. What's empowerment and what's gross or not classy or what's you know exploitive of themselves? I don't think we even know anymore. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think we do. And, and as a father, it's tough. My, my uh, oldest daughter's 14, you know, and we had a gala and she picked out a you know a nice dress for it, and then I saw the picture after, and I'm like. Wow, like, you know, she doesn't look like a 14-year-old right. anymore. And then all those dad thoughts, you're like, oh, my God, she's in high school, boys, you know, and all this. But, 
Yes, as a society right now, I really think we've lost our way. Uh, you know, as parents, you know, as it's our job to protect our kids, to, to give them morals and values and a solid foundation and insulate them and protect them. And in almost all child sexual exploitation cases, there now there are exceptions, but the majority of the rule is they didn't have strong parents or strong parental figures that were actively involved in their lives that opened them up to exploiting. Because these groomers, what they look for are these the ends, if you will. Mm -hmm. They look at ways to get to the children. There's manuals that are shared online by these people of how to groom kids, and it's textbook manipulation, and it it dives into the psychology of how a child's mind works, you know, and if a parent isn't giving their child attention, isn't teaching them, isn't being that, you know, adult figure, parental figure that they need, then they're open to other adults and other people to come in there. And almost all grooming, you know, starts with you're upset with your parents or dad really is absent or not present. And then they find they're in and they start to develop that bond, that that need that child has for for a parental figure, you know, for that, you know, protection and that love and that attention. And then these groomers manipulate that and use that to get them to self-abuse. And then eventually, in a lot of cases, to go, where exploitation turns to trafficking is they get them to run away. You know, because if you can convince a child to run away and tell the parents they've run away, leave a note then the cops aren't looking for them. That's just the simple truth. The cops will not look really? for them. Yeah. So, if so it, is if that it, something that you guys experience in your work as well with, with all runaways? Time. All the so time. So how does that process work then? Because you mm -hmm. know that even though that child has said, I am running away, it seems like they're a personal choice. Mm -hmm. What then happens with Operation Lightshine and what you guys do in your cooperation and involvement mm -hmm. with law enforcement? How does a case like that evolve? What's the next step? Well, so the next step in that case is, is because law enforcement, they're overwhelmed. And this is the other thing that people have to understand right now, why light shine is so important, why this public-private partnership is crucial for the success. $40 billion, $40 billion is spent on the war on drugs every year by the federal government. $200 million is spent by the federal government across the board to combat child exploitation and trafficking. You know, so police departments are already underfunded, under-resourced, understaffed, under-trained. Their technology is is non-existent at best or the ability to be able to use the technology that they do have because of lack of being able to afford uh, analysts and training and everything else. So you look at the massive crime problems that we have in America these days and things that aren't in the public's face all the time like murders and robbery and rape and, and everything else that the public is complaining to the sheriffs and the chiefs and the mayors about exploitation and human trafficking are literally like a virus in our country right now, but they happen behind closed doors. You know, so because of that, we have to be able to support law enforcement that work these cases and give them everything that they're missing that the government doesn't. And then two, and back to your point about how, what we do with runaways, they just don't have a lot of the resources unless there's like an imminent threat for this child that they can prove the law enforcement really can't get involved. So we partner with organizations full of experts, like the National Child Protection Task Force, a team of absolute, I call them the Avengers jokingly, they're rock stars. You've got the former commander of Joint Special Operations targeting, you've got the former commander of Naval Special Warfare Intel, you've got all kinds of cyber and hackers and just experts, and what they do the second a child goes missing, if they find out about it, they start working that case immediately. Contact the parents, they contact the police, and they start doing everything they can with tech in order to help find this kid. You know, and I've seen them uh, rescue so many kids 
uh, this year. It's just been absolutely amazing. And they're a huge part of Lightshine, a huge part of supporting Intercept. But you know, um, it's it's not always rainbows at the end of these. You know, a lot of times it's you know the, the, they find the worst. I mean, this is not. Do you an see easy a lot of like Stockholm syndrome, where people mm-hmm. are with their captors? For those that aren't familiar, it's like when you are whether you go willingly or you're abducted, and you start to empathize with your captor, and mm-hmm. then you don't want to leave, and it, it becomes your home, and you don't even realize you're being abused. Is that a big problem in our country? It's a huge problem in America right now. So that parallels the drug problem that we have. The fentanyl epidemic is out of control. Drugs are running rampant. You know, crimes out of control just because of the drug problem. I mean, here in Nashville alone, we've had over 700 and almost 60 uh, fentanyl overdose deaths, deaths in Nashville this year. Who's wow. heard of that? Nobody even knows that. No one talks about it. The media won't cover it. But at the same time, this drug epidemic is being used to control people and trafficking. You know, so they, you know, if you get addicted to a drug, now you've got someone you can prostitute out. Now you've got someone you can abuse, manipulate, and destroy who's going to keep coming back to you for the drug problem. Uh, but with the children especially, yeah, the Stockholm Syndrome is, is a, a crucial way that they use to, you know, manipulate these kids is they start to, they beat them down mentally. They make them feel like they're nothing, that they're not, that they're worthless, like they owe everything to their to their trafficker, to their mm-hmm. pimp. And it's it's a huge issue. And the younger you start, the more damage it does. And that's what people need to wake up to. You need to be looking for and watching what your child is doing on their phone. Because the way that they groom them, the way that they manipulate them, they send them a skin on a video game or an outfit or whatever they call them these days. They send them a heart on their underwear dance mm-hmm. on TikTok or an innocent little comment or they pretend to be their age, their friend, you know, and then they develop these false relationships and trust. That's what parents need to be looked for. And most of the time the parents say, oh, I didn't know. You know, I had no idea. How could it happen to us? Well, it's because you're distracted too. The very mm-hmm. thing that your child's distracted with is distracting you as well. You're on your phone just as much. You're pulled out of reality just as much. You know, so the only way we save this country, because I can't, you know, the police can't rescue them all, and Operation Light Channel, our partners can't rescue them all overseas. It's impossible. We'll rescue as many as we can, because every time there's a kid that's scared to go to bed, we're going to be there. We're going to do all we can. But parents need to be parents again. They need to stop letting the schools and social media nonsense raise their kids, because I've, I've had it with this. That is the problem. Parents are not being parents. Mm-hmm. Moms need to be moms. Dads need to be dads. And we need to spend time with our kids. We need to put the phones down. We need to get our children off of these apps that are just manipulating and destroying their brains with propaganda and all kinds of other nonsense. And we need to start loving our country, loving our children and our community again. We need to let our kids play outside. We need to let them fall over on their bike. We need to let them run down the street to their friend's house. We need to start being a community again. Because what we've created with social media and all this mass hysteria mm-hmm. from charities, we're all locked up in our houses in our own little bubble. We won't, we're stranger danger everywhere. And yes, you have to be smart and within reason, but we've taken it to an extreme, to such an extreme that we feel like our child is safer just sitting in there on their phone. But they're in the most danger that a child has ever been in their life. Because the second you let your child run free on a phone or an iPad, you've all, yes, you've given your child access to the world, but you've given the world access to them. And that is where we're at. I think that's such a great point mm. because keeping mm. your child locked inside away from people 
that's an excellent thing for parents to understand is they've got the world at their fingertips and the world has them at their fingertips and you don't know when they're going to be used and abused. And even if they aren't kidnapped, even if they aren't abducted, if they aren't trafficked, that's mm -hmm. still impacting their brain and their development to want that validation. I think that a lot of this goes back also to the lack of self-esteem and self-confidence in kids to where mm -hmm. they get that little heart on their video or someone tells them that they're pretty or someone tells them they're this, that, or the other and they learn it's an addiction to that validation. Like they learn that they need to be validated and it feels good. So they keep coming back for more. 100%, 100%, and, and we're seeing that everywhere. You know, if you look back, you know, I've had a lot of different types of training in the military and psychology and everything else, but if you look at the, the root of, you know, uh, men and women, women need attention, guys usually sex, right? And that's not always the rule, but majority of the time, it, it's the truth. So if girls are posting things on social media and getting hearts and comments and followers and likes, and they, they continually get that validation, then they're not seeking that from men. They're not seeking real connections and real relationships. Same thing with like OnlyFans and all the butt pics mm -hmm. and the hot girls on Instagram. Guys, aren't no, needing to go talk to women or you know court a woman or be a gentleman anymore because they can just masturbate to a girl on Instagram or on OnlyFans. And we've it's, all of this stuff has just detached us from reality and humanity so much. We've gotta get back to humanity. Uh, and we've gotta get back to keeping our kids safe because the thing that, that eats at me every day is, is I, you know, like I said, fought for this country for 17 years. I, I sacrificed my, you know, my youth my family, you know, my relationship with my daughters, so much, so many people, so many of my friends sacrificed everything for this country and for freedom. And for me to pivot to this, this next chapter in my life, you know, I didn't willingly go into this because of my sister, you know, you know, it's, this happened and I just feel like if, if no one else is going to fight it, why not me, right? I don't want anyone else to live or, or have to, you know, go through what my family and we went through with my sister. But when we, if we stop, if we just stop caring about the future and get so, you know, inundated with everything else, all this noise, all this nonsense, all this division, all this crap that's going on that keeps us hating each other, then we're, we're losing our children. Because mm -hmm. if we lose our children, we don't have a future. What's the point of uh, building a business or a big nice house or getting things or saving or investing or trying to set the next generation up for a better life when their childhood and their future is being stolen from them right under your nose? Mm -hmm. And that's where we're at as a country right now. You know, and with TikTok too. I mean, it's the FBI's talked about it. Congressmen are talking about it, but nothing's being done. Right. You know, TikTok is weaponized. You know, in China, Children spend 40 minutes a day, regulated, 40 minutes a day. They can't be on TikTok more than 40 minutes a day. And it's engineering, it's science, it's math, it's, it's opening their eyes up to, to great possibility and learning and, you know, giving them uh, a goals and for their future and who they want to be when they're adults. The average girl in America spends eight hours a day. I don't even know how they do that on TikTok. Doing wow. dances, watching videos. And, and, we, and you want to know why our country is headed in the wrong direction? It's because of that. But we can't blame TikTok. We, we need to blame our parents. It's mm -hmm. time for us to take accountability. It's time for parents to step up and say, enough is enough. I will not lose my child. I will be an adult. I will be a parent. And I will make sure my child goes to school, plays sports, has a social life, does everything that's needed to develop a well-rounded human being. That's how we save this country. And that's the only way we save this country. I think you bring up a really important important point too, because parents now mm -hmm. want to be friends 
instead of being parents and they don't want to be unpopular mm -hmm. with their kids and you know the way I grew up wasn't that it was you know what you might not like your parents all the time but they know what's best for you yeah Heading into tomorrow, which is Giving Tuesday, what mm -hmm. can my audience do to support what you guys do at Operation Lightshine? Share the message. You know, right now, you know, we did this quietly for two years. It took a long time to develop this. This was not an easy task. I mean, most people still can't believe we pulled it off, this public-private partnership model. But right now, we're expanding into Florida. We have task forces in Jacksonville, Fort Myers. I'm actually headed down to Florida uh, Wednesday to uh, give, a, give a big brief and, and talk to all those people. This is growing. It's expanding. But... We can't do this without money. At right. the end of the day, it takes money. And you know, we need donations, we need supporters, we need people to come forward and realize that this is a, a huge problem and the only way to fight it and to solve it and to support our police officers in this fight is to donate and give them the equipment, the resources and the tech they need. And that's, that is the best way. You know, we've got the talent because the cops are already here. Mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 the men and women in blue that, that are out there on the streets sacrificing so much for us, they're already here. All we need is the money to get the tech, to get the training, to get the, you know, the specific skill sets that are necessary, build out digital forensics, build out awareness campaigns, build out, you know, and that's another crucial part with our partner filter first. So we can build out the awareness campaigns so parents can be taught or really right. shown this. You know, so that, that's where the help is needed. Well, that's a great message, and we hope everyone will go to Operation Lightshine. Of course, you can follow them from my page, and if you can donate, please do. They do incredible work, wonderful, selfless work to protect our nation's youth and also to raise awareness. Thank you, Matt, so much for being here as always and for sharing the message that so many Americans really, really need to hear, even if it's a difficult one. Amen. We appreciate it. Thank you, Tommy. Up next, a new report shows that, get this, vaccinated Americans now make up the majority of COVID deaths, and you know I have some final thoughts. That's next. Wait for it. Wait for it. A new report shows vaccinated Americans now account for the majority of COVID deaths. You don't say. It's almost as if that experimental COVID vaccine doesn't really work too well. It's time for final thoughts. The Washington Post, a certainly non-conservative news outlet, has reported this not-so-shocking finding, and that means for the first time since this pandemic kicked off, a majority of Americans dying from COVID were at least partially vaccinated for, you guessed it, COVID. Well, knock me over with a feather. So you mean to tell me this is no longer the pandemic of the unvaccinated, Joe? I just got a lovely briefing from my... COVID team. And here's the latest, the latest data that confirms that we're still in a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So where the hell is our apology? And when I say we, I mean the un-COVID vax, non-sheeple who've been repeatedly and endlessly shamed, lambasted, blasted, demonized, attacked, and even fired for daring to wait for the science before rolling up our sleeves for vaccines one through six. But yet, even with all this new, and when I say new, I mean newly reported but long covered up data on the waning and barely there to begin with efficacy of the COVID series of jabs, the White House and its government liberal lackeys are still pushing boosters on otherwise healthy Americans. This is outrageous. For the love of God, let it go. The jig is up. We aren't masking. We aren't living in fear. We aren't going to be shamed into getting the jab, especially now. 
You know, I think liberals want to keep COVID fear around as long as possible in the hopes Democrats will shut down the economy again and they can stay at home in their sweatpants and collect a government check for months on end, masked, of course. But I'll tell you this, if we as a country are ever dumb enough to once again fall for that BS, we deserve to fall as a nation. So it's up to us free breathers who aren't pumped full of shots and don't glow in the dark to make sure it doesn't happen. And those are my final thoughts. Be sure to catch the entire show as well as exclusive content on OutKick.com. From Nashville, God bless and take care.